The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I did a lot of research since I was a kid on the cultures in Mexico. Because in Mexico City, by the way, when you grow up in that city, it's crazy that you go to the downtown Mexico City. My mom was friends with a lot of archaeologists and indigenous leaders. And like you go into the Zocalo, the, the main plaza, and there's Aztec faces breaking from the pavement as if they're trying to escape the underworld. And you grow up seeing that. And then as, as a kid, very early on, they take you to Templo Mayor, which is this pyramid underneath the churches in Mexico, an excavation where you can literally go underneath the street and visit a pyramid that is kind of at the foundation of some of the oldest churches from the from the time of the Spaniard conquest, which they use the same stones to pull, the, they pull them down from the pyramids because the Spaniards during the conquest, they were smart. They said like, on top of every pyramid, let's build a church. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning author, visual artist, and filmmaker, Leopoldo Gu, spoke with me about making music videos for David Byrne, going from homeless auteur to working with James Patterson, his unique creative process, and his latest horror novel, Pinata. Leopoldo is the author of the books Ghost Radio, the award-winning Genius YA trilogy, and the recently published fable, For All Ages, Monarca. He's also packaged, published, and developed books with other writers under his imprint at Simon & Schuster. And he was co-president of the James Patterson Entertainment Company for many years. His latest novel is Pinata, described as a bone-chilling possession tale, perfect for fans of hereditary and head full of ghosts, based on the true horrific story of the Spanish conquistadors that used pinatas to force Aztec children to destroy their gods. Publishers Weekly wrote of the author, Goo puts a unique twist on a classic possession story by incorporating indigenous Mexican lore into the gory plot. Leopoldo is an accomplished visual artist, filmmaker, and writer from Mexico City and studied sculpture at Central St. Martin's School of Art in London. He's currently producing award-winning author Marlon James' original debut for television, Get Millie Black, for Channel 4 and HBO, and was the executive producer of the film Molly's Game, starring Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba. In this file, Leopoldo and I discussed how his early life in Mexico contributed to a life of curiosity. Working with Pedro Pascal, star of The Mandalorian and The Last of Us. Why the horror genre was a great fit for his artistic sensibilities. What it was like to work with Aaron Sorkin on Molly's Game. Using research and meditation to beat creative block. Overcoming your fear of failure. And a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We have the award-winning author, artist, and filmmaker, of course, and many other things. But uh, 
We have Leopoldo Gu is joining us today. Thank you so much for taking time to do this, and I hope I have pronounced your name properly. Thank you. Yes, that's uh, it's a weird spelling, and um, and I always struggle with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we appreciate your time and, and your patience. Of course, we've been suffering from a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, but now that we're on the line, we're going to pray for the best, and, and hopefully we can... Talk about all about writing, of course, uh, your latest, and then um, this really, really interesting career and life that you've had. I can't wait to talk about all the things because you are a multi-hyphenate and we would seem have quite a few balls in the air at any t- given time. But yeah, I guess uh, talk about how you're feeling about now kind of on the at the birth of your latest novel and, and kind of what's the vibe over there. Absolutely. Well, it's Piñata, my latest novel, and so obviously I'm nervous. I hope that people like it. And I put uh, years and years and years on everything I do. And, you know, people think that being a hyphenate is like kind of like in design, trying to explore different channels of creativity, but it's really not. Like everything that I do has been kind of reacting to a circumstance, an opportunity more than me chasing down something like I have ways to expressing myself and sometimes they manifest in an in a painting and sometimes in a book and sometimes in a movie or a tv show um and it's been reaction to fear of poverty in the one hand like I came as an immigrant to the states and um you know I had a I married my wife now of 20 years and I have two kids and you know just the the fear of not being able to provide for them I helped my parents as well financially until my mom passed away. My dad, I still help him. Like classic immigrant. So I uh, reacted with opportunities because what I love about this country is that, you know, they really have found people that value my my ideas and my work and the things that I create and develop. And um, and I found a system of support across many different, you know, types of, uh, of storytelling. Uh, at the end of the day, I... I'm. Uh, I love to tell this story. When when my mom passed away, she left me this gift of all my grades from from like primary school and just just after kindergarten. And in all of them, the same message was there from the teachers, basically saying, you know, I look at um, your son and he's smart, but unfortunately he'll never make it because all <laughs> he all he cares of is is writing his little stories and and drawing his little doodles. But for four years in a row, that's what they said, and they would tried to flunk me and I remember my mom signing those 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 letters from school those grades from school with a lot of confidence and she always she will just encourage me to follow my path so more than hyphenate is I, I I follow the opportunities that are that that confront me and I go and I dive deep into them yeah and it is an inspiring story of course it seems to be quite a an interesting path to novelism because this is not your first novel, but it is a little bit different genre for you. Is that right? Not really. My first novel actually was Ghost Radio, which right now is getting a huge bump in the audiobook world because when we when I wrote it in two thousand seven, was published in two thousand eight by William Morrow. It started as a graphic novel. I was you know I've I've always painted since I'm a kid, and I was doing this graphic novel and. I, I suffered a huge fire. I lost my home. I, I was married. My 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 boy, my son was born. He was about six months old, and we were really homeless. So I started to get, you know, I was depressed, but instead of going back to the studio, because my home was also my studio. So, you know, when I lost that, it was kind of disorienting. And I was doing this graphic novel, kind of like a horror. I, you know, I'm, I've been a big fan of all the genre can, kind of since I was a kid, and I... I saw the Night of the Living Dead, and I start reading um, Pet Cemetery by by Stephen King and things <laughs> like that. So I started mm-hmm. to to do this graphic novel of what what you lose when when you come to the states and what you win, and it was kind of weird and horrific. And an editor for Morrow read it and said, "Look, I'll pay you X amount for a graphic novel, but I'll pay you Y amount for for a book." And I said, "But I've never written a book." And he said, "Yeah, but the writing is really good." So I just like jumped into it. And that was my first novel, and it was a horror. And 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 we and the audiobook was done. You know, Morrow, I'm a huge fan. Is like the home of like Neil Stevenson and Neil Gaiman and uh, Guillermo del Toro writing a book there, and all of these amazing people. So, 
you know, I was super, super happy with Ghost Radio, my first novel going there. And and uh, and in the audiobook, they hired a young up-and-coming actor who was kind of like a waiter slash actor at the time or something. <laughs> he was like a struggling actor. But it happened now that it, it turned out that that struggling actor is Pedro Pascal. And um, and obviously, he's now one of the best actor, actors working today. And he he did my audiobook. So so the the internet kind of just discovered it and and uh and they've been posting all sorts of things of uh all of his fans are pro- putting some provocative things about the audiobook and uh so it's really very funny that was my first horror novel in and there are little things between ghost radio and the now my new book piñata there's little connections that hopefully the 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 readers of both uh, we'll find uh, there's kind of like hidden message between one book and, and this one because there's there's similar there there are some echoes in the themes. They're very different books, completely different, but there's there is a connection that I put there, kind of like like came out of my heart. Yes, and of course, if listeners aren't familiar with Pedro Pascal's work, most recently The Last of Us for HBO, right, and then The Mandalorian and and many other fantastic. Um, portrayals but he's really had a kind of a, a rise in popularity what a cool story it's really weird my life has always been like that i know it's <laughs> been like and and it gets kind of crazier because one time i had a dinner with him uh because he did narcos and and i and i cast in one of my t- tv shows i cast one an actor that invited me to a big hbo party and and i started talking to pedro and i said hey Pedro, i love i love your work i love one day for us to work together. And he's the guy, he's the one who reminded me, he said, but Leopoldo, we've worked together before. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed, but it's just when you're a young actor, I mean, when you're a young author, they don't let you go near the, the recordings of the audiobooks. They don't right. want the author there kind of like directing. So I never met him and I didn't know, I just loved who did the voice, but I wasn't like, I, I you know, I've done so many things in my life that it wasn't at the top of my, Head who did the audiobooks of my books. Now I'm like I learned my lesson because uh, you know if if one day Pedro hears this podcast, just I'm, I'm so sorry, man. I I I really love love you. It was not uh, on purpose. I, they just don't let you follow like they don't let you near a thousand yards from the recordings. Uh, so it's very funny. Yeah, that's a great story. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files help us start something cool and special keep calm and write on
Well, before we dig in a little bit further into Pinata, this supernatural vengeance horror driven by the real horrors of colonialism in your native Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I want to dig back a little bit into your kind of meandering path to this project. But of course, you know, you you come from a background in you're you're a visual artist, um, you're also a filmmaker and a and a TV producer or you know, you've worked um, with some really big name folks, but you were also co-president of the James Patterson Entertainment Company um, for some time. Talk about like which which came first, because obviously you've been been an artist your whole life, right? Yeah, I mean, like since I'm four, I'm painting, and I, you know, I sold my first doodle when I was that age, I think, and I I got a scholarship to study sculpture in San Martins, which is a super fancy art school in. London, Central St. Martin School of Art. And I was very lucky uh, because it was a great way to get out of Mexico and study art. And I, you know, I really believed that I was going to be a practicing artist, which I am now. But I, as I said, I had a very strange upbringing. My mom, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of books and friends and writers and poets and painters would come home with you know, endless dinners with my mom and my stepdad who became a, you know, he was a very, very famous journalist, but they didn't, you know, in Mexico, it was not like we, 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 we had a middle-class, straight middle-class uh, background, but it was amazing the kind of people that I met through them, like from, you know, famous filmmakers to writers. And, um, and it was fascinating to listen to those dinners. I would pretend to go to sleep, but then I will steal the wine and, cigarettes and just <laughs> listen it for hours and and also um you know in the books and the national geographics that my mom had i always felt that my destiny was going to be get to get out into the world and 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 look at it around and and you know in mexico we traveled a lot there we had my mom was an activist so she exposed me to a lot of incredible things and working you know she she did projects with indigenous people and with and with uh, all sorts of people of different backgrounds. And she was surrounded herself to amazing people from really every every angle of the world. And she gave me the gift of that curiosity for the others. And her best friend was like was a very super well-known uh, gay hairdresser who was uh, the center of like certain types of people in Mexico City. So I grew up like really not, um, with no prejudice and it was really a gift because the world, uh, you know, a lot of my friends were, didn't have the, the luck that I had with, with so much culture injected into my brains and into my blood system. And, you know, we, I visited artists and I remember the smell of their art studios and, and all of that kind of informed me. So the story, it came back to when I finished art school, I had a gallery show very early in my twenties and um and i started to to have a pretty good relationship with my work and and as a profession i had a you know great studio in new york city and then and then um one day we did a kind of a music I, some some friends of mine introduced me to the david Byrne, who's the amazing singer and songwriter of talking heads who you know as you know he was performing last night with his crazy yeah. song in the oscars and he <laughs> He got a little piece of my work and very encouragingly gave gave us some money to do a music video. And I didn't know what, you know, really, I, I love music videos, but I, I, I was not into film. I was just doing weird, like little experimental videos. But my younger brother is a very passionate filmmaker and um, he's always been a director. He's now, we're editing our own show for Netflix called El Elegido, The Chosen One, based on American Jesus by Mark Miller. And he, um, he was always a director and I called him and said, Hey, I, you know, I think I got some, some money to do an art thing. And so he like, we, we joined forces in, in, in many, many projects like that, that kind of became my film school, like, like just working for, you know, dozens or hundreds of music videos and commercials and short films that we shot all over the world. And it was very kind of like lucky time at the end of the business of the music industry. And I, you know, and, and, and that really allowed us because it was just him and me and a DP and we owned the company and we tried to buy equipment. So, but, you know, we were really like efficiently making them and we direct them, produce them, edit them. The whole thing was internal. We never signed with any big production company to, 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 um, to manage our, uh, uh, you know, our, our thing. It was very, very, 
very much our own kind of path. And that connected me to the to the film industry and then the opportunity of the the James Patterson opportunity was more was stranger than you can imagine because I was trying to just get out of my depression from losing my house and my art studio from the fire. And I was writing ghost radio. And then like I was doing a lot of post-production of my music videos in this beautiful company called Curious Pictures that closed down, but they were like an amazing creative hub. And I was experimenting with animation and all sorts of different things. And, and uh, James wanted to find a very strange kind of uh, original visual artist to work on one of his graphic novels. And a lot of the people at Curious Pictures were super trendy hipsters. So they were a little snobby for Jim. And I (laughs) love that he was commercial. I was like, I want to learn what, how is he, you know, selling so many books and his mind. And I wanted to, I was just curious. So we did a graphic novel together. And and then I, you know, I kind of said, Hey, I, I, like I, by then I was doing a lot of music videos and I, I pitched one of his, and you know, one of his stories into, to a buddy of mine who was a, I don't want to say names because it, it became a disaster, but he was, the, <laughs> he, we, we did my, my first uncredited TV show with James Patterson was pure, just ignorance because I pitched a book that I kind of, in my research, research of who he was, I picked up a book that apparently was already sold and dead in the industry, oh, the no. industry call it dead when people buy a project they shoot a pilot and then it dies and then they shot it again and it was like a dead project like agents didn't know but the way i pitched it really resonated with this guy and he was at the right place at the right time so we did a whole two seasons of like an incredible like show and he made a lot of money from that and 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 that kind of like he said hey why don't you come and and work with me so i worked on a very strange arrangement which was non exclusive so through all of the years that i worked with patterson i was still doing my art things and my own projects with my brother and um it was a, just a great opportunity to dive and and build uh, and learn from this from 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 him and it was fantastic i mean i really enjoyed the work and like all the people I met and we did a ton of TV shows and movies and, you know, developed ideas for, for stuff. So it was great, but there came to a time that I, that I had my own TV shows and just the time would not allow me to keep doing it. And, and, you know, I, like I, we all saw it coming. I had to, I had to move on, on, on a, on my own path, but I, I really am grateful for all, all that I learned from him. And um, so it was, it was great. It's a really cool story. Um, so you're in the right place at the right time. Talk about a little bit about uh, your imprint at Simon and Schuster because that seems like a kind of a unique. Well, that's a that's a great story as well. I mean, it's it, it wasn't um, that forced at all. It was a a time I've I've always been able to to look at stories and develop them and kind of find people that are great writers and help them. Or, or painters or whatever, I like kind of love to, if I see something that I'm excited about, it, I don't have to be the, the, the writer or the creator. I can always also be a kind of a producer. So more than an imprint, I'm like, I have a, a book kind of system with a couple of friends that we really look at stories and then see how we can develop them. So sometimes that means developing a book and we were, um, with Simon Schuster at the time, it was uh, Judith Kerr. She she then left to HarperCollins, but at, uh, she was the running Atria at um, Simon Schuster, and and with her, you know, I proposed her some a really interesting plan of of doing these curated stories that I found. Some of them, you know, really out there books or memoirs. So some of the books that I've published, for example, are ideas that that I meet that that don't fit into my little imprint, that fit more into their own thing. For example, I did a book with a futurist, and it's not a fiction book. It's a memoir, kind of a self-help memoir of his own work as a futurist mm-hmm. called uh, Future You. And that one didn't really fit in a, in Simon Schuster's kind of imprint. It, it, I wanted it more to be in the main publisher because it was a more of a self-help slash futurist manifesto than than my own uh than my own travels and, and fiction 
So all of this opportunity really came from the need of like discovering writers that that feel that they were overlooked and that I and that I was passionate enough to put some time and energy in developing those stories. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I mean, I could pick your brain all day about this really, really interesting winding career. Of course, I want to talk about um, your writing process and the writing life and pinata, of course. Um, if you could talk a little bit about kind of just the the genesis of this story, because because I understand you know it kind of sprang from a need for you to you know express <laughs> some some anger that had come up, and uh, you know it seems that you've talked about this in the past, just kind of being able to channel some of your um, you know feelings about you know obviously especially some of your personal experiences, but talk a little bit about kind of the genesis of Pinata and um, you know, how this kind of came to be, and then talk a little bit about the process that went into uh, making it. It tails to, to the, your first question of, um, of my hy- hyphenatedness. I don't know what, how do you use that word? The mo- well, I the- called you a multi-hyphenate because, you ha- because you're award- an award-winning author, you're a visual artist, you're a you know, writer, producer, it's hard to kind of put everything into one, you know, it, you're, you're someone who's really kind of in undefinable. If that's, a, if that makes yeah, more sense. I mean, yeah. in, in, it is the fun, in the funny way. I, I've been thinking a lot about this uh, because it comes up now and then. And, and, and I love the question and I do believe that it's definable because what I do is it, it, it my natural place is images. Like I, I, I'm very, Images are my first kind of images through memory are my first kind of connector. And a lot of the work, even though it seems different, if I sit down with you and I you grab any of the things that I've done, even the books that I didn't write, but I just helped publish. Um, and you sit down and we and, and I go through the process and the story of how each one of them got made, they have a real connection in process. It's all like you know, I have a memory that triggers. I always use, you know, oddly enough, my sense of scent, you know, when mm. I, but even things that I find like, you know, I, one great example is I, I don't like, I don't, I'm not a gambler. I don't like poker and I'm not really that crazy of celebrity culture, even though I do have some good actors who are good friends of mine, but I'm not into that whole celebrity vibe. But um, I was, having some drinks with a larger than life Mexican friend of mine. And, um, and we were in a fancy club because he was doing some catering there. And, and, and a bunch of very pretty women started to approach us. Now I, I'm very happy married and I, my defense mechanism when somebody approached me, is so I just show pictures of my wife, my kids. And like, I start talking with them because it was <laughs> very, they were trying to invite us to this like poker game. And, that meeting became me developing a book with Molly Bloom, who published yeah. it. And then we took through my one of my old lawyers, Ken Hurst, we took it to Aaron Sorkin. And once that we had Aaron Sorkin wanting to adapt it, then we took it to a bunch of financiers, starting with uh, Mark Gordon, who, who really wanted to work again with, with Sorkin. So I really developed that project from soup to nuts and, and it was, uh, but it was my, 
what it triggered me was the memory I had of my mom when she was younger. Um, and, and the fact that Molly was kind of very bossy and her energy reminded me of my mom a little bit. And I was, um, I loved that she was a woman in a man's world, hmm. that she was kind of to refine, redefine herself through that angst because she grew up with a bunch of brothers who were kind of overshy, overshining of her. And she was like, it just took her life into a really interesting uh, twist. But it was not the poker or the celebrity or all of that stuff that interests me. And um, so the process of that between that and a, and a painting or a character in one of my own books is very sim similar. It's a layer of memories that connect with me viscerally to a story or an idea or a person or a feeling. And, and then I become kind of like a, like a dog with a bone that will, will not let it go. In fact, for a whole year, I was trying to convince her to leave the poker world and, and do a project with me and she and she stopped talking to me for a few months I, I i can get a little intense when i when i see something and um and then she came back after she got arrested by the fbi so that was a really that's a really great sample of things that i'm that that i was feeling it wasn't you know i didn't see it oh i'm going to do a movie to make money it was more a oh my god this is a great story about women in in a man's world and how she can over overcome that and outsmart them all like in a chess like almost like pre molly's game is a predator of like the 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 queen's gambit you know in a way and um so it was a really amazing process to develop it and i really don't see the difference between that and some of the ideas that i work in my contemporary art pieces and stuff and and again like that pieces off a lot of people in the art world and i've been told by people in the art world you know, I, I just want to work with artists that are only artists. And I'm like, I don't know what that means because even, even uh, you know, all of the artists have tried different mediums. You know, Giacometti tried furniture design and same with Francis Bacon. And, you know, they, any artists have tried different things. And there was this notion that you, there's this notion that you have to choose like one adventure and stick to it. And I love when people can do that. It's just my brain works differently and I you know without trying I end up like you know in the middle of a conversation like that and then I want to and then I want to make it work and I uh, you know I have dozens of projects like that in the middle of you know it might take me another year to to convince a, you know someone that let's do a book together or a movie or a tv show or a painting even but but it's all very organic on on reality of my circumstance and it all starts from the same kind of core of my curiosity and my drive to to come through through it to, of those interests to to really manifest them like to you know in in terms of you know in terms of piñata I was I was I did a lot of research since I was a kid on the cultures in Mexico because in Mexico City by the way, when you grow up in that city, it's crazy that you go to the downtown Mexico City. My mom was friends with a lot of archaeologists and indigenous leaders. And like you go into the Zocalo, the, the main plaza, and there's Aztec faces breaking from the pavement as if they're trying to escape the underworld. And you grow up seeing that. And then as, as a kid, very early on, they take you to Templo Mayor, which is this pyramid underneath the churches in Mexico, an excavation where you can literally go underneath the street and visit a pyramid that is kind of at the foundation of some of the oldest churches from the from the time of the Spaniard conquest, which they use the same stones to pull, the, they pulled them down from the pyramids because the Spaniards during the conquest, they were smart. They said like, on top of every pyramid, let's build a church because that's the centers where people go to pray. So let's just give them a continuation. So it was a very strategic reason but it was very traumatic for me to see it. And then, you know, that's on the one hand. And then years later, I discovered in a family tree, there was illustrations of all my ancestors from my father's side of the family. And I discovered that I was, I had that direct ancestor who was a Zapotec. And it was an, just amazing because my family, because they, they are French immigrants, the 
some of the I grew up with some some of them being pretentious of trying to hide their indigenous connection, and I I, I could be prouder for that. So when I discovered this, this years and years ago, you know, I I was very excited. I haven't done my DNA because I think that's a uh, I don't I don't care. You know, like I, I feel it in my heart and I don't want to know the truth. <laughs> like if if the whole thing they showed me with the family tree, it's an old document. But if for any reason it's, it's not true, like I don't want to know. I have I, I have a tremendous love and respect for those those cultures and and I want to I want to claim a little part of it, you know, in, in, in however I want to get it. And I and I'm also think that those DNA th- our businesses to gather information. So I'm very suspicious with them. But but to me, that, that was the first element of the journey. And then when it, I always have these shoe drop moments when my books or my paintings or something important starts. And in the terms of piñata, of, you know, it triggered when, I won't say the name, but the last, uh, the last president of the United States who was this horrible human being, uh, he said something weird, and I remember waking up from screams from my daughter because she's very young but very politically active, and I could hear her rage screaming at the TV of some dumb thing she said, um, and um, and I remember feeling that rage. And in in uh, Ghost Ray, my first horror novel, I was very focused on on two male protagonists, and in this one because. I was raising a young teen- a pre-teenager who was just becoming a teenager. Um, uh, I, I I felt, you know, I, it triggered me to write Piñata. I just, I just, and then the the third, the, the other trigger was through my. That was the the my daughter's scream was like the trigger to start writing. But before that trigger, there was a a a painting I discovered um, that I thought, oh my god, how come no one has done anything with this this is crazy i saw in in my multiple i call them my wormholes of research i have multiple avenues of things that i dive and i i spend years like just things that interest me and in this one was about certain you know things about colonialism and and i and i saw this painting of of uh you know you grow up with this beautiful song called dale 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 which is about break i'm not going to sing it i have the worst voice in history but the 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 song you know i uh, it's about break breaking the piñatas when you when you go to every birthday and the song is pretty dark if you really look into it because it's like don't dale 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 no hit it hit it hit it don't lose your way because if you lose your way you you lose the you know um you can lose your destiny. It like goes on and on, and it 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 it's 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 darker than it sounds. And people sing it in a very nice way about about like the don't lose the road. But it can be about your soul, you know. And and then and then this painting I discovered was illustrating that the 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 Catholic Church to indoctrinate some young children, they would paint piñatas with the symbols of their gods and then force these kids to to break the piñata and eat the food. They were starving, so they would break the piñata and then eat the falling food. Meanwhile, the, you know, at the same time, the the Catholic Church, you know, it's a it's a cannibalistic society because, you know, the, you know and, and my father's family is very Catholic, but they, you know, the, I have both the Jewish and the Catholic, so I'm, I'm screwed. Um, and they eat the you know the flesh of the gods and 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 drink the blood of god and it's it's pretty brutal when you're a kid and they take you and they you see that you that you know that the, the, they're eating the flesh of god like i remember being five and being told that and i was like why would i want to do that that seems horrible the guy's <laughs> the guy is nailed and he's bloody and i want to eat that flesh screw this and like, so i was very um, mortally like scared of the of the whole uh, enterprise and 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 just the idea to see that they were you know grabbing children to forcing them to hit yeah. the meanwhile everybody used it for the party so it was it's kind of like like blew in my head and then that in combination with my daughter's scream I, I really like couldn't stop writing this and, and coming up with 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 arcs and the you know be, being Mexican, but my children were born in America, so they're Americans. And also that kind of like 
things that you win and things that you lose. I touched upon it in, in, in Ghost Radio, but I really, like, I, I really, you know, that really evolved into Pinata. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's like, a, you know, like all great core genre, you are, you're talking about big things and big theme, themes and you're and, and you're using the genre to kind of help you like digest it and talk about it and and that's the, those things happen in in piñata in a hopefully in a effective and beautiful way like you know I talk about the memory of the of how now it sounds and what happens when we forget it and um and and the the Nahuatl language which is just from the cultures of central mexico but happened to be the aztecs but there's all, all all sorts of other cultures that spoke Nahuatl and they were you know it's a language that is still alive but it's you know you always fear that you know what will happen to those gods when we all forget the language and how it sounds so 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 that idea kind of is peppered into the into the into that into the novel Definitely some some much deeper themes running under the surface there. And of course, um, I will mention, I will link to your home base there, leopoldogu.net and the book. And yeah, I just wanted to say, and congrats on the work. Um, it is really, really compelling and it just kind of sucks you in to its own, to its own uh, wormhole, as you put it. But yeah, it's just been described as a bone-chilling possession tale, perfect for fans of Hereditary and a head full of ghosts. Uh, based on the true horrific story of the Spanish conquistadors that used piñatas to force Aztec children to destroy their gods. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely um, get that sense that you are wrestling with some some much bigger um, themes throughout your work, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, tell me, you know, kind of like what's next for you? Um, you know, I know that, you know, I wanted to ask uh, kind of how, how you juggle these projects or how you decide to, you know, we've, we've spoken with a lot of authors who do the same kind of thing, which you like to call like productive procrastination, where you're kind of working on one project while another one is kind of simmering on the back burner, you know, and it kind of probably gives you that creative juice to kind of jump from one project to the other. But yeah, where, what are you working on now? And what, what do you have, uh, you know, aside from promoting the latest, what, what have you got cooking? Yeah, I mean, like, um, there's there's a lot of things that because of because of COVID, a few of my projects kind of got collided into the same time. So, I just published another book called Monarca, which is the opposite of Piñata because it's about it's an illustrated fable that I co-wrote with an, um, my friend Eva Arigis, and it's about the butterflies that go from Canada to Michoacan. So it's all painted by me. I did over you know, I don't know, hundreds of drawings and paintings about these butterflies. And, and I wrote it for kind of like all family. It's a really different type of book and it just came out. So it's crazy that they're coming out almost at the same time, except for a few, a couple months time. And then, um, and then Piñata, obviously it's my, it's my baby. I just, uh, it's coming out now. And, um, and I'm already writing a, a sequel that, you know, I promised um, my beautiful publishers of Tor, Nightfire. Um, they are the best, um, one of the best publishers I've ever worked with. And um, they've been really fun to collaborate and to help me, to keep me, keep me focused and true. Um, I could, I, I, I love, I love those people. And we're editing both uh shows uh one of them i co-created with my brother we adapted a um, graphic novel by mark miller called american jesus and we shot it in mexico and it's a beautiful show that will come later this year uh called the chosen el elegido and then we which is a great international cast and we have tenoch huerta who's the namor in the black panther and diana agron who was in Glee, and she's in a, a few really great movies recently, and very talented non-actors that we that we found all over all over Mexico, literally, and uh, and it's in Spanish and English, and it has you know it's a it's a really great ambitious project that it's uh, I I like to 
boast about it that it's a little bit like remember that movie Stand by oh, Me? Yeah. So it's, of it's kind of Stand by Me, but with a Mexican supernatural twist. <laughs> um, that's kind of the tone that we wanted to go for. Yeah, and then uh, I have another show that that one I didn't write. I I just produced, but I developed from scratch. From there's an author who won the Man Booker Prize in the National Book Award called mm-hmm. Marlon James. He's Jamaican, and and I developed a, a TV show with him and Channel Four, and now HBO uh, called Get Millie Black, and it also comes out this year at some point or early next year, probably this year. And um, Get Millie Black is going to be on HBO, and it's a you know it's a Jamaican noir kind of a detective story, and I'm super excited. And, and Marlon is a fantastic you know world class author that I convinced him uh, to do TV, and and he would say it that he wrote this show uh, a little bit so that I didn't bother him so much. <laughs> uh, and and his and and his book he wrote a book called a brief history of seven killings that is pretty pretty famous book and um so i'm i'm very excited about that show because it's, it's a literary noir story you know with a lot of guts and then we and then we're doing all sorts of other you know films and documentaries and but art is my you know one of my biggest passions so i have a thriving art studio in New York City, and and I, where I'm making beautiful, crazy contemporary art and paintings, sculptures, photos, like all sorts of things of expression and creativity, and all of the things that I make kind of echo into the paintings and to the sculptures. So it's a it's a, it's definitely a, a full plate. But you know when you when you love these things, and you know I'm a dad. That's my biggest project is my my kids, my family. But um, but when you are um. When you love how as much as I do love what I do, it's not work. It's really like I just like my 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 son who's my I have a daughter and a son and he asked me one day if if we were successful and I said, listen, as long as they let me do this crazy stuff, we're, we could be more successful. I don't want more. I just want to continue <laughs> what I have that I I've been able to make books and films and art for all these years. So I just want to continue doing that. And it's a privilege. And I'm, you know, so grateful for everyone that has helped me along the way. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm truly great. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the time. I'm grateful for the publishers, for studios that, you know, it's like winning the lottery over and over again. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we are grateful for you, your words, your wisdom, your work. And of course, I'll point at your Instagram too there, which has quite a bit of your original artwork displayed there. And it is uh, really, really beautiful stuff. Yeah, so um, I guess I got one fun one for you before we kind of wrap up with your advice to uh, to other writers. Yeah, if you could have uh, an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot in the world with any author from any era, who would you take? And uh, yeah, where would you take them? Oh, Excellent question. <laughs> I would probably do a dinner with in Oaxaca with a young chef called Dura, Hugo Duran, who's a genius who uses indigenous foods and he's really traveled every inch in Mexico to find like, and he uses fire, which is my type of food. Um, in Oaxaca is my favorite food. And I will, I would um, somewhere in the ocean where it's crispy and, you're outside with a big fire and and he's cooking in multiple cities. I, I also love to cook, so I would probably join him and help him. And the writers I would invite for sure would be Mikhail Bulgakov, the Russian. He's dead. He's just uh, The Master and Margarita is one of my favorite you know, books of all time. And I read his letters and he's great. Then there's a 15th century nun that I'm in love with and my daughter name is you know based on her is uh, Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz she's a poet and a math- mathematician an inventor a, a lover for both for men and women she's she's an extraordinary woman and anybody that listens to this apart from reading piñata they should buy her book she wrote many many books on poetry and stuff but there's a book about her by Octavio Paz that won him the novel called The Tricks of Faith 
and it's Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. And she's kind of like, you know, the intellectual side of Frida Kahlo, if you can imagine, you know, the first feminist of the whole entire continent, I think, and one of the most interesting women of all time. And, and I, I, I fell in love with her through that book. My wife knows how much I loved her. So I asked, like, she, she carried the baby, so she had the right to name them, obviously. Um, but I said I suggested Ines, and, and she liked the name with an S and and, um, and, a, and an accent on the E, and so so that's that's where it come from. So I would have it, Sor Juan Ines de la Cruz for sure. Miguel, how many you want me in the dinner? Because I however love, many like, <laughs> I would have her for sure. I would Excellent. love, and I would love, um, you know, always is interesting. You know, Dylan Thomas, I would love to have him there, and there's um. There's a million of them that I would have. Um, I just, it, it's, I just, you know, dinners are very specific and, you know, you have to be, they have to be fun. Like I, I was very lucky to meet very big, famous writers. I'm not going to, to, to name their names here because they're famous and people love them. But I met a couple who were just awful people. So I don't, I don't want them to be in my at your party you know one of them yeah one of them is amazing i love his books to death uh, he's he passed away but you know he was miserable all the time so that's my only concern but i know that sir juana was fun because of her writing her poetry and sexy and crazy and challenging i know that um mikhail bulgakov was amazing and fun and a total madman and i, <laughs> and I also would love mark twain like who wouldn't okay. want mark twain and Mark Twain, we'll throw in Mark Twain. Yeah, probably. Probably that, that would be a fun dinner. <laughs> Love it. Well, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if you could just uh, leave your fellow scribes with just one final note on just how to keep going, you know, through the good times or the bad. You know, we've all kind of been through it, through these concentric circles of crises, and, and we continue to persevere, obviously. But yeah, it seems like the world's, Spinning a little faster these days. Uh, how how to how to keep going? Yeah, it's a great question, and I love to answer it because the reality is we all came out of like an apocalypse, two apocalypses, one presidential and one uh, health wise. And I I think that there's a lot of negativity that we have to try to avoid or minimize insecurities, you know, of and and ignorance. And what the opposite of that? It's all ignorance. Like all of the everything they say is, is based on ignorance from their take on the weather to the take on politics to the take on immigration. It's almost amazing how you, you, you kind of want to, to get them to understand something, but it's just unbelievable ignorance. And I do believe that the world is better when you're curious. And I always feel like don't let the algorithms of social media define you. Like, I, if you guys look at my algorithms, that I push them to be positive. Like I just block any negativity. If I want to read politics, I go to really well-written, established, you know, writers and philosophers and compare them. Like I don't I don't go into like left or, or right newspapers completely. I, I I try to to go deeper than that and and I take it for, you know, I'm not a politician, so I don't, you know, you want to hear what people actually say with the, within context. But I feel like it's very important to fight the algorithms of social media and, and not let the negativity of that drive us because it's proven. That's why I think that, you know, uh, Elon Musk's a f fool and fake when he talks about the freedom of speech because there's no freedom of speech in those algorithms. These are machines that are addicted to money and to that's how they were programmed. So the Twitters and the Instagrams and all of those things are addi addicted to to, to the basic common denominator. And it's been proven by many scientists that it tends to go darker because uh, you get more re reaction, you get more passionate clicks when, when, when somebody says some stupid thing on QAnon than if a panda just was born. So you get much more passion and energy, whether it's negative or whatever, from negativity. So negativity breeds negativity and it's destroying youth and I'm so lucky that my kids barely touch it and try to avoid it at all costs. And, and but I think that to other writers is the first step is is try to find your your spots of happy that makes you happy. 
curiosity is is the fix of everything. If you're in a writer's block, I've given many classes to even to Columbia University about about how to break the chains of of blocks or or dry spells. And you know, I always tell people like, I'm a visual guy, so I I found my own system to fight creative blocks. And what I do is it's a technique that works for me, but it might not work for everyone. So you, everybody has to find their own kind of trigger. And to me, my technique is is my research, but also my I do a meditation kind of trip when I when when I'm doing big paintings and I'm doing sometimes in my marks you'll see repetition of lines and dots and weird things. Those are kind of my grid of of going and getting into the zone, and they're visual concerns that produce a kind of a zone state if you can call it some people meditate some people go into the gym some people run some people dance some people get you know crazy drugs and, and like everybody has their own system to get there to the zone my way is i i, I start to repeat uh these visual concerns almost like jack nicholson in the shining writing the same word over and over again and i get into because i'm dyslexic and i have a lot of you know, little ticks and weird things that I have to trick my mind to it. And then what I do is I start to, I, I have a very acute sense of memory and, and scent. Like even I dream with scents and sometimes I wake up dreaming of my grandfather and his scent is still in the room. So my obviously my brain produces such a clarity on the scent memory that I can remember it. And, and then everything starts to smell like him, almost like a switch. And I use that, and and the way I've used it is like, for example, I go into my meditative state, and I start to remember very small details. So always start small. So like, what interests you? Or to me, like for example, is the doorknob of my grandmother's from my father's side door when we would visit her on Sundays, and it was black and rusty, and they had little holes where we would love. When I was five, probably I would love to go into those halls to see who would come because she had a big patio and I would see who was going to open the door. And and then once you 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 go into the zone and really remember that moment, then you you remember a step into the house and then what's right, what's to the left. And by now, after you know if you if you do it consistently, suddenly you have a vivid memory of of your of things that were totally lost through memory and, and your memory is like a muscle. And it's like having a, your own little movie, your home movie of your grandmother that you never painted, that you never captured. And I use that at the same time that I'm doing research, at the same time that I'm collecting images and stuff. But that's my process. And then I put it up in the wall, like I write about the memories or I paste photographs of the internet that I get or museums that I go and see or parks or even random people like, yes, like I was in this in a restaurant having, I walk my dog and they let you in in this place and I was having a, a sandwich and this uh, chef, they have an open ch- kitchen and this Asian chef, she had this incredible shape of head. So so I sneaked a picture without her realizing and that's going on the wall because I love the curvature of her cranium and I want, and I'm, it's going to appear in my paintings or maybe in a book it'll, I'll, I'll end up describing her as part of a character. And, um, and so so I do those processes over and over again, and then I never run out of... And so, but, but the most important part of this advice to, to your listeners, to other writers, is that you do all of these research, but then you always have to find every week or every two weeks entire days where you do nothing. When you learn to go into what I call the, the anti-zone, and you go into space, and you literally for hours you decompress and look at nothing and don't engage in tea. like try to look at a flower or the ocean and disconnect with no thoughts. And as thoughts are coming into about your family and whatever, try to empty yourself. And I, I do it every week myself, but everybody should do a different, some people need it every day. You know, like, I don't know. Some people need it once a month. Like I, I try every once a week to have at least half a day or a full day of nothing of literally not being productive. And then the third the third uh, advice is to fear the failures. Writer's block is through the fear of failing. It's 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 the constant. In that in that and you never beat the fear of failing completely ever. 
ever. It's always there, but you have to work with it and play with it and push it and can't let that fear become your total master. You know, so so those are my three ways for of my a very basic advice. I'm I've given this lecture a few times professionally, and I mm-hmm. it's about a couple of hours. So I'm giving okay. you the 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 the, the cliff the notes, minutes, the cliff notes <laughs> of my two hours of um of, of how to be creative. Beautiful. Um, well, we could pick your brain all day about uh, creativity, of course, and we'll have to have you back at some point to do that. But again. Leopoldo, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, best of luck with the tour and with all of your uh, projects that you've got going. Really excited to see some of these shows that you got cooking and are producing and, of course, more pros when it comes out. But, yeah, uh, congratulations on the work, and we lo- look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future. Thank you, and thank you on behalf of every writer because we need more. You're a writer, and we we need to help each other more, so... Thank you so much for your time. I love your, I really love this, this time that you, that we talked and I'm, you know, I'm here for you next, whenever you want me back. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to do more of these things. I love talking about creativity and, and books and things that I love. Yeah. It really shines through and we appreciate your, your wisdom and, and your passion honestly really um, comes through in everything. And, and Pinata is sure to be, um, devoured and loved. It is a little spooky. I'm not going to lie to you, but I, I'm a big fan of horror, honestly. And um, you've been compared to some really, really talented horror writers. So congrats. You, you've earned it. Thank you so much. A big hug to your audience as well. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. Dot FM.